What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers Podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How did they get to where they are today? How did they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today, I'm here with Pete McLeod of No CS Degree. Pete, what's up? Really good to join you. I've been a big fan of Indie Hackers for about two years now. I think I first heard about you guys from the Scott's Cheap Flights interview. So yeah. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Very inspiring. So yeah, it's a huge honor to be on. So thanks for having me. It's my honor to have you on. You're the founder of a company called No CS Degree, which you started in order to show yourself and others that you don't need a computer science degree in order to succeed as a software developer. So tell us a little bit about how it works. Sure. So basically, I interview developers that don't have the conventional four-year computer science degree. And a lot of people are perhaps, they've been a waitress in the past, or they've been working in a bar, and now they've gone to either a boot camp, or they've taught themselves code in the evenings after work. Basically, it's just a blog where I show those stories. But... What's really good is it's showing people an example where you don't have to be the kind of Mark Zuckerberg, you know, perfect score student, you know, learned coding when you're six years old kind of person to get into coding. So, for instance, one person I interviewed was a waitress and she is like learning code in her spare time every evening. And now she's doing great in a development role. Another person I interviewed Probably, possibly my favorite story, Ben Ford was in the Royal Marines and while he was on active duty on a warship, he learned to code with like a beat up laptop and a book by Python and like no internet, no searching on Stack Overflow. He learned on his way, like in active duty, (laughs) so on a warship. Yeah, there's like a ton of cool stories like that. So it's really interesting for me to hear how people change their lives through learning code, really. One of the, the similarities between your business and Andy Hackers is that we both interview people. And we're both talking to people who are themselves, I think, supremely motivated to change their own lives for the better, which I think is kind of the best possible customer you could ever serve in any business. Because if you succeed, you're watching all these other people succeed. And it's just a, a pretty cool feeling. You yourself have a pretty interesting backstory. I think eight months ago, you were unemployed. And five months ago, you were making minimum wage. But today... You're an indie hacker, you're working for yourself, and you're making, I think, around a couple grand a month on your website so far, and hopefully more in the very near future, depending on some deals you have coming up. What was it that set you on this path? Oh, man. Yeah, I have a very different story to possibly most indie hackers, so, which I think was a good thing. But basically, uh, yeah, like at the start of the year, I was unemployed. I was like, going for a bunch of like marketing jobs. I kept on going for interviews, getting to like, the last round, but couldn't quite get there. And eventually, and I was like on like welfare or unemployment benefit or whatever you call it. And um, eventually I was like, right, I just need like any job, even if it's a minimum wage job. I got a job in a bedding shop, like a bookies. And basically it was like the worst job imaginable. Like the first week I was there, someone, a customer smoking crack in the toilets. People would like come in and drink all day and then pass out. People would be like, my manager would go home and just like leave me on my own while people were like getting wasted and then like demanding money from me. It culminated in this day where I went in 
there's this kind of weird atmosphere. And I, I was asking other co-workers, like, oh, what's happened? And, like, um, some of the women that have been working the night before on, like, solo, uh, she, like, had to call the police because she's getting, like, threatened because people were kicking off and getting violent. And then someone, the manager came in and was like, oh, yeah, someone, before you started your shift, someone, like, threatened to stab me. So I chased them out of the shop and tried to beat them up. And everyone was holding me back. And that's the kind of shop it was. And wow. I was like, it's not your typical, like, oh, I was working at Facebook, making 200K, and decided to become an indie hacker. So I was kind of like, I kind of just like was like, what the hell am I doing here? I've got like a few months savings. So I quit the job. And then I was just like, right, I've got enough savings. Not like a crazy amount, but I've got enough to last me like six months or so. I'm already kind of at like, well, yes, definitely a professional rock bottom, considering I've got, like, two college degrees. And I was just like, well, I can either, like, go back on welfare while I look for a job or, like, get another sucky kind of minimum wage job while I look for something else. But I was kind of like, this is just, like, an awesome opportunity to just go out on my own and do my own thing. Since then, I've just had, like, so much drive because, obviously, I want to, like, completely change my life. And that's starting to happen. So, yeah, things are really great now. It's fascinating to think about that difference because a lot of the people that I talk to, they feel motivated to take you know, the quote-unquote risk to be an indie hacker because they know they can fall back on their computer science degree. They know they can fall back on their programming skills. They can go yeah. get that job at Facebook back again. Whereas you're coming from a different place where you're kind of motivated by like, I don't want to have to do that again. I don't want to go to a place where people are being you know, threatened with stabbings uh, every day just to make ends meet. <laughs> yeah. So I really need my business to work. Yeah, I think in a way though, it's, I mean, I can probably say this now because it is working, but I think I'm really grateful for that because I think I see a lot of times online and on Indie Hackers and other websites where people are like, you know, oh, I don't know if I should quit my job. I'm making like 150K. Like, you know, I've got these stock options and it's just like golden handcuffs. It's just like, you can't quit. Yeah. And like, I didn't have those. I had the complete opposite situation. So, in a way, it was kind of like from a really, because it's such a bad situation, I was like, well, it's not going to get any worse. I can, if I do six months of indie hacking and then if it, if it doesn't work out, I can, okay, I've lost some money, but I can just go back into, you know, a bad job if I have to. So it's kind of like, I don't really have anything to lose at this point, so I might as well go for it. So yeah, it's, it's worked out really well. When you don't necessarily have an idea that you know you're going to work on, and when you have this limited runway of just a few months of savings, how do you come up with a business that has a good chance of working and making the revenue that you need and the time that you need it? Well, I had, so while I was working in Vicky's, I would like, uh, diddle on like the bedding slips and like make logos and make kind of plans because there's quite a lot of like dead time where like it's, it's funny actually the I worked for one of like the biggest betting like bookie shop like betting shop chains in the UK the week after I quit they closed like a third of the shops because like everyone's betting online now and so it's quite funny like I was listening I have to say like my favorite audio of all time is like your interview with um with uh, Lynn from Key Values, and I was oh, listening. Yeah, to, oh yeah, I listen to that all the time, and I was listening to that again recently, 
and I walked past my old shop, which is all like boarded up. So I'm like, I'm doing better than you guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess like I was always thinking about it. So while I was still working there, I was still kind of like making like making ideas and making plans and thinking, okay, what's going to work? I guess I took a lot of inspiration from Peter Levels because with Nomadless, Nomadless is really like the content and he doesn't make money per se from that. But he's parlayed that into community, into like remote OK jobs board. So my kind of initial idea was like, I've got, I'm going to make the content. I'm going to make this blog where I interview people. And then I'm going to make a jobs board, which I have actually launched. It's nocsok.com. I'm going to be like bringing that back into like the main NoCS degree brand. But actually the blog's making more, more money, funnily enough. So, yeah, I was definitely, while I was in this bad situation, I was definitely making plans and plotting in the scape, if you see what I mean. Yeah, the reason I ask is because I think it's easy for a lot of people to think of a product or an idea that they want to build, but it's not easy to think of something to build that's also going to be able to make money in any kind of reasonable time frame, which I think is one of the reasons why it's hard for people to quit their job, because they just see their bank account you know, getting lower and lower every single month, and they compare how much money they would be making at a job. How do you make money from a website where you're basically interviewing software engineers? Sure. So up until very recently, most of it's been from newsletter ads so i've got my blog newsletter has a thousand subscribers my jobs board one has 1500 i figure because people are you know you need a job more than you need to read a blog right and so most of it's been from newsletter sales where i've just been really just messaging people in communities like indie hackers and telegram just uh, pitching them and just being like hey i've got this blog i've got this big audience um, do you want your coding product in front of it? And I've not really had to do much work on that. People have been like, yeah, this is really cool. I've got a big like Twitter following as well, so I think that's helped. But I think one part was I had a really good month in October where like I sold like about a grand's worth of sales uh, in for newsletter ads. And then it was really funny, like virtuous circle, or I think flywheels, how you say it in SF, where I went on Indie Hackers and I said, hey, I just crossed over $1,000 for the first time. And then someone was like, oh, that's awesome. We want sponsor you as well. I was like, okay. And just like on email <laughs> and then got like another 600 bucks from then. So I was like, this is awesome. So it's kind of like be open with your revenue because it can lead to more money. So most of it's been from newsletters so far. I've started doing sponsorship with um I started doing sponsorship with boot camps. So Holburton School in San Francisco sponsored an article that's just about to come out very soon about a woman who is a dancer and now she's a developer, which is a pretty cool story. And she's also a developer in Paris. And so she's been able to move to France for her first role. So that's pretty cool. I'm getting some affiliate income now from coding courses that are mentioned on my, in my interviews. And yeah, I've just had a couple of calls recently with BitCamps for like packages of interviews. The good thing about that is BitCamps, you know, you can ask them for quite a nice sum of money. It's not the kind of $5 or $10 
a month kind of thing that a lot of indie hackers do. So yeah, so I think I definitely recommend doing B2B because in one phone call, maybe in the last week, I potentially will make, you know, it would take a long time to make that from a $10 app that way. Yeah, there's so many people who, for their first business, they make something they can only charge 5 or $10 a month for. And it's, it's the math there is just so difficult. If you want right. to charge $5 a month, you need 2,000 paying customers to get to $10,000 a month. 2,000 paying customers. That takes years to get to. But if you can do what you're doing, pick up the phone or send an email, and one person will pay you $1,000 or $600, then it's significantly faster to ramp up and, and build exactly. a lifestyle for yourself. If you if you think that's bad, I saw someone in Telegram group recently that was wanting to charge $2 a month. $2. <laughs> it's just such a tiny amount. Yeah. And it's like, um, yeah, it's just like businesses. I think Lynn made this point in her podcast interview, which everyone should definitely listen to that you recorded with her, where she said, you know, businesses have budgets for this. Like they have people that in my case, they have marketing departments. Every bootcamp will have a marketing director who has a pot of money and they need to spend it somehow. And so you can get in there and pitch them and try and get that part of that money. I think the problem with the kind of $5, $10 thing is a lot. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot is a lot of people will do things like they'll say, Oh, but it's just the same as like the price of one coffee a week or something. But you've been having that drink of coffee every day for like the last 10 years of your life. Maybe you know what it tastes like. You know, it tastes great. You have it every day. It's a habit. And then someone else is just being like, this is a completely alien product that you've never used before. You don't know if it's going to be great or it's going to suck. And you have to like substitute one of your beloved coffees for that. It's just like, yeah. It's a much harder style. And also, if you think about the, the coffee shop's revenue, if somebody's drinking coffee for 5 bucks a day, that's $150 a month. That's not $5 a month. So I think a lot of times founders think they can compare themselves to a coffee shop. And if I can only get people to pay me $5, you know, it'll be profitable. But you need you know, frequency. You need people to buy a lot more if you're going to charge that little. And that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, I think um, someone that I know very well from Telegram Grips, Andre Asimov, who made uh, Sheet Two Sites, which sheet2site.com, which is basically what I based my job board off. It's really great for making MVPs like Nomad Lists or a, or a job board or anything like that. He sent it's my birthday last month, and he sent me a Telegram video message saying, "Like you've done lots of great work this year, but I want you to make ten grand a month by your next birthday." And I was like, <laughs> "Damn, okay, that's a good challenge." But like you say, ten thousand a month for a ten dollar app is like a thousand, a thousand customers. And then for every thousand customers, you've got you've got probably like reach a hundred people for each one of those, mm. and it's churn. And like you've got like a thousand people that you have to deal with. Um, like I could potentially have you know maybe I don't know like ten people to talk to a month with my bootcamp index. Or, you know, something along those lines or five people or something like that. So there's, it's just like a lot easier. It's far few people to have to convince. I'm convincing like, you know, a room full of people basically, not like a thousand people. Yeah, exactly. There's so many good reasons not to charge a super small amount for your app. And I think, you know, one of the mindsets that people get into, and I'm curious why this didn't affect you, your first time starting a company, 
is that essentially you get rewarded in life and in the markets by just putting in a lot of work. And thus, if you're an indie hacker and you've just now started your business, you can't possibly charge more than $5 a month for anything because you haven't put in the time. Where the reality is that you get paid money for providing value to people and doing things that they find valuable. And so if you're doing something like helping a boot camp grow, that's worth many thousands of dollars to them. And even if you've only been working on your site for a few months, they'll pay you a thousand dollars. Whereas if you're solving like a five dollar a month problem that's not worth anything to anybody, it doesn't matter if you work on it for years, they're still ongoing to pay you five dollars a month. And so uh, it's kind of a waste of time to, to artificially hamstring yourself by starting off by charging very little money when you could be solving a more valuable problem and charging people a lot more money. Where did you learn all this stuff? How did you figure out you know, what you're going to charge for and have a sustainable business model when you were just now getting started as a founder? I guess like like I'm going to mention it again, but really Lynn's podcast was very influential. Like I can even like, I can actually even quote it because she says like, say a big number, they don't like it, or they make a face, you can always come down and then you can ask them for something else. So, but it's just kind of like a lot of these businesses, like there's a lot of money in tech. So it's okay to say like quite a big number. And like I say, if they say, like Lynn says as well, like if you say like a big number and they're like, yeah, that sounds perfectly reasonable. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to say no more to the next guy <laughs> because, uh, and you can get, it's just like, it's just like trial and error. Like, there's one, I mean, early on, there's one bootcamp, which I pitched like a really high number to. I mean, I think they were probably, it wasn't totally right for them anyway, but they're just like straight off the bat, like, yeah, that's too high a number. And then I was like, okay, that's cool. I know. So I'll, next time I approach someone, I'll do a bit less. But I think um, one method I really love doing is the um like the one two three sales method from that steli talks about in your podcast where it's basically the way i got like 920 dollars from someone that from swizek teller who's in san francisco and does the serverless um handbook for developers is i'd spoken to we'd run like a month bads before for like less money I'd, I've been messaging him since then saying like, oh, are you still interested or do you want to do more ads? I haven't got anything back. So I did this thing which Steady talks about where you give them three options. So it's kind of like a traffic light system. So you say like, so I just sent a message saying like, hey man, like I'm just going to give you like three options for, for what you want to do about advertising. One was like, yeah, I still want to do, I want to do more ads. Two was like, yeah, possibly let's talk about it some more. And three was like, you know, I'm not interested right now. I thought, and I was like, just type, so just type back one, two or three. So it makes it really simple for the person. And maybe if they don't want to buy from you, you're making it easy for them because they just have to say, okay, three. And it doesn't have to be a confrontational thing or, you know, something like that. So I sick message back saying, how much for ads until the rest of the year? <laughs> And I was like, oh, damn, that's like secret answer number four. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't an option. <laughs> it's like, and then so I, like, I put together a number and like gave him a bit of a discount because he's buying in bulk. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And I was like, damn, nice one. So yeah, one, two, three is really good. I would add a caveat is that um, I've seen some indie hackers where they make the number three, like the no option, some really kind of, uh just like really like salesy sleazy kind of three is like 
oh, you're trapped in a lift and you can't get out. Help, help. And it's kind of like really disrespectful to the other person because you're not giving them an option to say no. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so you exactly. do, it's very you, patronizing. Yeah. So when I've, I've mentioned some people, the, I've mentioned the one, two, three methods to people before, and they've just been like, oh, that's a terrible method because someone hit me up with that and said like, help, help, I'm on fire and blah, blah, blah. It's the last option. And it's like, well, I would never do that because, yeah, it's really yeah. rude and you're disrespecting the person. So you do have to do it in a correct way. Kind of like those pop-up ads where you go to a website and they're like, click yes to subscribe or like, and there's no, you know, no button. The other button is like, uh, I would definitely not like to receive any valuable information or something. Uh, like you can't find the no button. You're looking for it for a while. And it's just like, why would you one, do this? The ones I like, I <laughs> I can do, I've got way better example. I know exactly what you mean. But other ones are just like, you know, are you happy being like a fat, worthless loser? Or yeah. do you want to subscribe? And it's like, well, you know what I mean? It's just like, don't be so aggressive, man. It's just like, I'm not going to buy any product from you if you're being so like rude, if you know what I mean. I think a lot of it comes from a scarcity mindset that a lot of people have where they're just like, I just need the sale to work so badly. I need to do anything to increase my conversion rates or anything like that. And I think a lot of that can go away again if you charge enough for your product. In your situation, it's not the worst thing in the world if somebody says no to you. You don't feel like you've exhausted your entire universe of customers because you're sort of going one at a time. You're doing sales. You have these real relationships with people who you actually talk to and have conversations with. Of course, you're not going to have any sort of motivation to be super sleazy or do things like that. And you're not going to have the scarcity mentality that makes you think, hey, if I don't land the sale, I'm screwed because there's so many other people you could sell to. Whereas yeah. if you're charging like $5 a month for a product it's, and you need to reach thousands and thousands of people, it's easy to start feeling like, oh man, I'm really exhausting the entire potential of my market here. And if all these people say, no, I'm never going to have another chance. So, you know, let me, let me put the sleazy pop-up on my website or send the sleazy email. Yeah. I mean, one thing I definitely work on, and this is something that work my kind of like mindset for everything, for like interviews, for <laughs> like dates, for this podcast interview is like, I just prefer things to go well. So if you go into like, a, say you're doing an exam in like high school or whatever, or like, or like, let's say for this, you're making, doing a sales call. If you go into sales call going like, I have to sell. And if I don't, it's the worst thing in the world. And it's, you know, it's drama and I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. You're probably not going to be a very relaxed person in that sales call. You're like, it's all this, like it's one or the other. And it's going to be like amazing or awful. Whereas if you go into it, just kind of like, I honestly do this with everything. I just go, I prefer it to go well, but if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. And I literally tell myself that every time I do a sales call or like an interview or anything like that. And you're just so much more relaxed because if the person says no, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, no worries. I'll just, you know, thanks for your time. And then I just move on to the next person. And it's a lot healthier than kind of like, you must buy this for me. So let's talk about how you got started with no CS degree, because obviously in order to sell advertisers slots in your newsletter, you need to have actually some subscribers, you need to have a newsletter, you need to have these interviews. You posted on Indie Hackers in July of 2019 that in your first week, you made $70 in revenue, you got 440 subscribers, you got 48,000 page views for your website. <laughs> yeah. What did it take to, to get to that point? Yeah, I had a really crazy launch where... Basically, in the past, I'd like done stuff on 
uh, product hunt, which had got to number one, but then hadn't made any money. So it's kind of like, yeah, if you're listening, going to product hunt number one isn't everything. You need to have a business plan. So like my day started off dead slow because I was on product hunt, but it's in like the top five or something like that, or maybe top 10. And I was like, oh, I thought I'd be killing it. I thought I'd be going to number one. And then I was like, oh, I'll just go and post some Hacker News. Now, I didn't have any, I'd never posted on there before, so I didn't have any like credit or ranking or whatever. Totally new, posted on that, it just went crazy. Got like um, 29,000 views on the first day, got like a shed load of comments. And I got, it was funny, I was actually like making the subscribe, like, call to action box like on the fly while while it was like in production it was so crazy and i was messaging like steph smith on telegram and i was just like oh how do you make the pop-up box like not pop up straight away how do you make it like an exit pop-up box and it was so like kind of like driving a car down a highway like on its side just on two wheels (laughs) but and everyone and like but it was really great because like i thought hacker news like you're going to get some comments and some negative comments. And I guess that comes back to what I was saying about preferences. Like I prefer everyone to like it, but reality, not everyone's going to like your website. So, but everyone, like virtually everyone was really supportive. Something I found surprising was all my friends have computer science degrees were like, Oh, your website's really awesome. I regret doing my degree in hindsight, or I wouldn't do one now. And I was like, man, I thought you'd hate it. I thought this could be going to be like really awkward. <laughs> but um, yeah, everyone, yeah, everyone did. Everyone really liked it. And I, was, I thought it'd be this thing, which would be a love hate. Apart from a few exceptions, everyone loved it. The job board did even better. It was on the top of Hack News in the news section for two days straight, which is pretty crazy. And I got like a thousand subscribers in one week. This time, I had the call to action prepared in advance. So it's just like, boom, email, it's the first thing you see. So yeah, and just that and being like heaps active on Twitter. And I'd say on Twitter, I definitely have, I've been very influenced by, I say, like Scott's cheap flights approach to emails. So I kind of, his is very personal and it's kind of like, I'm going to do a bad impression of you, but you're kind of like, hey, it's Scott here. I've got cheap flights for you. And it's like very kind of personable and friendly. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that's what I do on, on Twitter. And so I think it's a real advantage for me because I come across as someone that's trying to help people out, which I am, of course. And yeah, sometimes I'll just say random stuff like fuck the gatekeepers and I'll get like tons of people liking and retweeting that. So, you know, I can kind of be a little bit outrageous and get away with it because, you know, I don't have to report to anyone. <laughs> It's pretty remarkable to get to the top of Hacker News twice to do so well on Product Hunt to get thousands of subscribers uh, for something that you just built. What are what are some of your takeaways for how others can do that? Why do you think your launch went over so well with people? Yeah, that's a good question. I suppose I did spend a lot of time thinking about the concept in advance. I'd chosen like a really good blogging platform. Like I, I was building in public, so I sent like a public tweet to Peter Levels, who's like my basically my main mentor. And I said, like, what blogging software would you use in 2019? And he was just like, I'd probably use Ghost, which I hadn't, I think I maybe heard of it, but it wasn't totally um, on my radar. 
And so I used Ghost. So it's just, it's just like the default theme. And everyone's like, wow, your website's still slick and clean. And I was like, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, I spent a lot of time on that default theme. Um, yeah, I guess putting, putting time and effort into it. I guess ahead of time, I was kind of like, oh, it's obviously influenced by indie hackers. I should, like, that probably goes without saying, but I was kind of like, you know, I'm learning to code or like, I, well, I code already a little bit. Over the summer, I was kind of like, while I was launching all this, I was doing like a part-time coding course in Scotland. So I kind of just figured like, I was already messaging people on Telegram, finding out how they learned to code because I was curious. Like the first person I interviewed for a NoCS degree was this guy, Richard Bletchinger from Austria. And when I interviewed him, or when I first heard about him, Richard's 21, high school dropout. Uh, so this is obviously a great start. It's going to be... And he... But despite that, he makes like between ten dollars and $15,000 a month. And he works remotely from Austria. He's not having to live in a super expensive city or anything like that. So I saw a lot of people like that. I saw Harry Dry, who's been on this podcast before, who uh, made the Yeezy dating, the Kanye Westing can you yeah. West dating app, which I thought was hilarious. And I was like, wait a minute, didn't you do like a marketing degree at Durham in the UK? And he was like, oh yeah, this is how I learned to code. So I was kind of just like, well, I love indie hackers and I love how finding out how people build independent businesses. And like, I'm really interested in this. I didn't, I, I'm not a big believer actually in a ton of the kind of, I guess, Silicon Valley, like you have to validate and AB test it and blah, blah for six months. I was kind of just like, well, this is interesting to me. There's a ton of people online learning to code without degrees. This is probably going to interest them as well. So I think spending time researching and thinking about your product would probably be, yeah, a good bet. How much time did you spend doing these interviews and setting up your website and getting everything ready before you were able to launch? Let's see. So my manager was threatened with getting stabbed at the end gin. <laughs> what a great, what a great uh, timeline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, quit the next day. And then, yeah, so just like three weeks later. Good, But this gets back to what you were saying before, how I guess it's maybe a little bit crazy, but when I when I decided I had six months and I was like, like you said, my savings were going down. I made like $70 my first week. It kind of lights the fire under your ass because it's like, well, I don't have time to sit around. I don't have time to do like six months of, you know, making the blog and getting it used together and doing tons of like prior research. I have to get some money in my bank account. I have to get moving. So I guess from, yeah, from quitting my job to launching was like three weeks. So I had about, I think I had about 10 interviews lined up before I launched because I didn't want to like obviously launch with one. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, something I should add was like the other great thing about Hacker News was I got 30 emails on my launch day from my blog from people asking to be interviewed. So it's like, okay, I'm doing like, I started off doing once a week and uh, after a couple of weeks, went to two a week. So that's kind of like, you know, four months of content right there, theoretically. I don't, I probably didn't say yes to all of them. Some of them weren't totally what I was looking for. But if you have people like, 
banging down your door saying, hey, here's the content for your website. And you can build, use that to get an audience. And then you can parlay that into talking to boot camps or other advertisers for money. That's a pretty good situation. So you are interviewing people who've been successful becoming software developers and making a lot of money doing that without a CS degree. But you yourself have become an indie hacker without having any sort of business school degree or prior experience running a business. What are some of the similarities between those two paths? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I guess even I had really bad imposter syndrome and even until like probably a couple of months before I started the business because I didn't have like, I don't know, you see, hear all these stories like, oh, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you should have been like selling candy to the kids in your high school when you're six years old and making a handsome profit. And I wasn't doing any of that. I did like a politics degree when I was like 18 because that's what I was into when I was 18. So yeah, I guess the similarities were would be, you know, I don't think anyone's a born programmer. I don't think anyone's a born entrepreneur. It's all about hard work. If you can definitely imagine it happening, you can, that's a good start. I mean, I was actually, I was really helped by one of Harry Dry's answers when I interviewed him for News Yesterday because he quoted Confucius, and I'm going to like mangle this quote, but it's essentially saying those that think they can, can do it, and those that think they can't, won't. Which is like, you know, if, you go, if you're going into like entrepreneurship or coding and you tell, you're, you're telling yourself, oh, there's no way I can learn to code because I don't have a degree or there's no way I can start a business because I don't have an MBA. You know, that talk's not particularly helpful. <laughs> uh, whereas if you do the opposite, hopefully with my CS, no CS degree website, more people are seeing pathways. If they can go on the website and see someone like Taylor Alexis, who's working like minimum wage as a waitress, and now she's doing really great as a developer, or tons of other people like high school dropouts that are working at like JP Morgan. It's like really incredible stories. So if you can see yourself making that change, yeah, it's it's totally possible. You just have to have that self-belief and, yeah, a lot of drive and determination. How much do you need to learn on the job, not having you know a huge array of qualifications and just having this belief? And what are some of the habits that you developed to help you learn as a founder? Yeah, I guess... Honestly, I just, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I try and listen to an Indie Hackers podcast like pretty much every day recently. I've gotten into a good habit doing that. So like I can probably reel some off. So I've got like, you know, one, two, three sales method for sending an email. Got that from like Steli's uh, podcast. Talking to, talking to your users and just showing them what you're working on. Like this morning I had a really great like, meeting with a friend for friend who's a manager, a tech team for like, uh, probably shouldn't say which one, but like a really large tech company. When I, like, I met him for coffee and I was just like, okay, here's my job sport. And I'm not trying to sell you or anything, but you know, what do you look for in a job sport? How do you hire people? And all these things. But yeah, it's, that's really helpful. So I guess just mainly just like all this stuff is free. You can just go on Twitter. Twitter is a huge resource. I definitely recommend if you're curious about anything I've done, for instance, just go in search bar and search at peak codes and then do like sales or marketing or 
you know, blog or whatever, and you can find out everything I've said about these things. I've done that a ton with um, Peter Levels because he's like a really busy guy. So he's very generous with his time. But, you know, you can't be like messaging them like every five minutes. So like this is like it's a really good hack, which I don't probably maybe people know about it. But anyone you admire, go on Twitter and search their username and search like blogging platform or sales or whatever. And you can learn from that. And of course, just like I should say, like, although I started in July, I have been like reading Indie Hackers interviews for like two years. You can soak up a lot of information, but you just have to like read tons of articles, see what other people have done. I'm not a big fan of books per se, but the interviews and podcast episodes, you can really start to see what people have done. And you, if you're, if you can be a little bit analytical, like I should totally mention someone else. Um, I should mention Pat Walls, who runs Starter Story. He was a really big inspiration. When I launched in July, like he interviews people that, like he, it's a similar idea to Indie Hackers, but he interviews people that have like e-commerce products. So it's like um, a beer cooler for the when you go to the beach and stuff like that. He's making, when I launched in July, he was making like four grand a month. And he was in like the same, he only launched like maybe one or two years ago. He's in the same Telegram communities as me. So I saw him go up from zero to four grand. So I was kind of like, okay, I reckon if Pat can do it, I can do it as well. I checked in with him recently and he was like, and I was like, oh, how much are you making now? And he's like, oh, like seven grand. So I'm like, oh, damn. Just got, just got post some moves. <laughs> it's just like, just as I'm getting like, maybe like, I'm getting like two grand a month. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm catching up with Pat. And I'm just like, oh, damn. Need to catch up. Need to go harder. You have such a similar quality to Len, where I think I put both of you in the category as people who are almost excessively willing to get help from others. So you've messaged me, you talk about messaging. Peter Levels, Len is the same. Anybody she can find who knows more than she does about something or who's already done something before, she'll reach out and ask for help or she'll try to find something else that they've done, which is, I think, just such a smart approach. Because no matter what you're trying to do, someone else has already done it. They've already figured out the hard parts. They've already learned from different mistakes. And if you can avoid making those mistakes yourself, then you basically save yourself a world full of hurt. And I think there's kind of a myth that when you're just getting started, you're going to have to fail. You have to go through a bunch of failures to succeed. And while that's common... It's not necessarily true. It's not a necessary requirement. And I think a lot of times people can build businesses that work their first shot out of the gate because they learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I should say I have made like some other websites in the past which like didn't make any money and I've kind of like learned from them as well. So one thing I wrote about on my blog recently is um, I've got this idea that basically if you're deciding what, idea you should work on it has to be has to pass what i call the hit by the bus test where if you're walking down the street and you get hit by bus this is going to get pretty gruesome by the way so just <laughs> it hear, already is here here oh it's gonna get worse here yeah but like if you get hit by bus and you're like bleeding out in the street and you're like basically a goner you have to be thinking like oh man like if that happened to me hopefully it doesn't if that happened to me i'd be like oh man i was doing like you know, I made an OCS degree. I got tons of emails from people thanking for thanking me for it. Um, it's something I really love to do. It's really, it makes me really happy. I think that's the kind of quality of thing you should be working on. Because if you're trying to make something and you're just like, 
I'm going to copy that guy over there and make a quick buck. You're probably not going to be very motivated. And, you know, I think it's just not something that you're going to, you need that passion you need that interest. So I think like <laughs> if you're in an accident, I think you'd be like, oh man, I made Indie Hacker. That was awesome. I don't think you'd be like, oh, I wish I was like selling insurance door to door or, you know, <laughs> you know, something like that. You know what I mean? So I think if, yeah. you, if you have that level of drive and it's so important to you, then that's going to help tremendously. And I mean, I guess as well, there's probably some people that are listening that are kind of like, oh my God, that's way over the top. Um, I just want to make money, money, money. And that's fine. It's like, I don't care if that's your value system. That's cool. But I definitely have to work on something I'm super interested and passionate on because there's going to be days that suck. There's going to be days where I have to work on it, like on the weekend. Well, I do work weekends anyway, but there's going to be times when it, where I'm, I really don't feel like working on it, but I have to, to get it done. But if you're working on an idea just to make a quick buck, that's probably like what every day is going to feel like. And you probably, I think another thing is maybe a less gruesome analogy than the bus is like work on an idea that you're willing to work on for five years because that will really separate the people out from that have a very short time frame in mind and just like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to be loaded in six months or whatever. It's probably not, probably not going to happen. But if you're willing to work on something for five years, I think you've already got the kind of like dedication um, required to really see it through. Yeah, I think what's kind of ironic about the whole mindset of, oh, I just want to make money, 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 is that when you have that mindset, you're less likely to succeed and make money. Whereas if you work on something that you're more passionate about, as you said, not every day is going to feel like drudgery. And even the days that do, you'll have a little bit more motivation to keep going. And I think also you'll build something that resonates with people. So when I look at what you're doing with no CS degree, that really resonates with people because a lot of people don't have a computer science degree, but they're looking to change their lives for the better through learning to code. And you can identify with that because that's the situation that you were in yourself. And so the energy you bring to that and like the like the sense of purpose, you, you mentioned earlier, you'll tweet things like, fuck the gatekeepers. Like <laughs> That just resonates with people because they understand like there's yeah. actually yeah, a mission yeah. behind this. There's a why behind it. And you're much more likely to reach people if you have that sort of meaning baked into what you're working on. Yeah, I think exactly. It's just, I mean, I know I'm taking my own horn here, but it's just kind of a lot. I do get tons of emails where people are like, this is so great. This like someone I messaged recently where I was like, hey, can I interview you for my website? And they're like, oh, yeah, like your website really helped me. And I was like, helped me like stay motivated and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really cool. So, I mean, it's making money and it's making me happy. So it's kind of like, it's pretty, pretty ideal. Never, like I was saying before on Twitter, I'm like, well, very open book, but I've like never been like professionally happy. Like had always, you know, I just hadn't found anything that I felt happy with in work. I think if you're happy when you're working, you're going to work a ton more of it because it doesn't really feel like work. It's just like, it's making you more happy. So you're going to work more. So it's kind of like a really virtuous circle. So you've done a, a lot of things, right? We've talked about how you're able to basically come up with the idea for this and then get it out to the point where it was ready to launch in just about three weeks. So you build something super quick. Um, you charge a lot. You're not charging $5 a month. You're charging companies thousands of dollars to sponsor your website and your newsletter, which 
which enables you to actually pay for your lifestyle and, and build a business that works. And you actually build something that's meaningful, which means that your message resonates with other people. It resonates with you. Uh, that means that there are channels like Hacker News where lots of people who believe in this sort of this sort of mission gather, which makes it easier for you to launch successfully, et cetera. What else is on your checklist for what makes a, a business worth working on? And what are some things you've learned from your other past failures? Yeah, um, definitely do what Paul Graham from YC says is solve your own problems. So for this, this has worked really well because like I said, I've been coding for like a couple of years, kind of like on and off, didn't have CS degree. And this summer I was kind of like, it's funny because I was, I started doing this part-time course and I was kind of like, I don't know like how much time should I spend doing the coding and work my technical skills or the business and then business just completely took over because at the end of the day, it's paying my rent. And I guess I decided like I didn't want to be, if I had the choice, I prefer to be an indie hacker that knows enough code to get by rather than say maybe a professional programmer who's, you know, stuck working in a, a bank or somewhere that doesn't really align with my values or my priorities. Solve your own problems. I can give a really good example of when I didn't do that. I made like this website called Ski Resort List, which is kind of like kind of like copy of um, Nomad List. Unsurprising, but but I've listened then. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make it like a version of Nomad List. Oh, it's going to be like that, but it's going to be like for skiers, and snowboarders. Only problem, I don't scale that often, so I didn't like you know. I was like asking people online to be like how do you look for resorts or what's important to you in a resort or like what do snowboarders want that skiers, you know, maybe don't because I'm a skier. I've never boarded before. I spent ages working on it. <laughs> I think by the time I'd finished on it, it take like four months or so. I think the ski ski season year was like finishing <laughs> by the time I launched, which was like, yeah, great timing. Everyone wants to go on a ski resort list in May, but um <laughs> Yeah, I think that was like a really good example because if you're your own user, you already know like what you're wanting from it. You already know the problems. So for like no CS degree, I already knew that there wasn't really one place online where I could find tons of stories with like really interesting content and hearing how people did it, finding like their tips, finding their advice, finding like how they got their first job. Same goes with the jobs board. Yeah, this is kind of funny because a lot of people, like I am helping people and I do provide a lot of value, but I think a lot of people think that it's like this, maybe this top down thing. They assume I'm this like pro developer that's like made this thing. For an actual fact, all these things benefit me as well. I mean, like no CS degree is going great, but in the future, if I need a job, it'll really help me that I've made a jobs board that, is for people that don't have CS degree because that's promoting this the mission that you shouldn't have to have a degree. So in the long run, it's kind of helping future me, maybe. But I think, so yeah, I'd say definitely don't create something which isn't solving your problem. And I've seen this recently as well, where someone made, like, made the same mistake as me. He's making like a golf course, like membership, uh, website and it was like quite a cool idea um where you could basically like if you want to be a guest at a golf course usually you have to know someone right and then uh, mm-hmm. that way you maybe pay i don't know like 20 30 bucks or something 
And if you don't know someone, you know, off the top of my head, maybe you have to pay like 200 bucks or something to play a really good course. So his idea, which I'm kind of like sharing with the world now, um, was that you could have this thing where you could like, just like a marketplace for these things. So if you want to be a guest at like a really good course or whatever, you don't have to know someone. You can just match with someone online and then they can get you along to play and you'll pay like, you know, the 20 buck price or so. But this guy who made this like MVP doesn't play golf. So he went on Reddit and he was like, hey, what do golfers think of this? Like, is this something you'd use? And you're just at an immediate disadvantage because you don't know the problems that you're solving. You don't know if this is even going to work. You don't know. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Don't, if you, I see this as well a lot of times in business bits where it's just like, oh, I'm at like, I'm in a queue for a dentist surgery and I'll make an app for dentists. And it's like, are you a dentist? Do you know how much money they have? Do you know their priorities? And it's just like, yeah, you have to, you really have to solve your own problems because you just got such a, you just got such a head start because you already know it inside out. I think that's such a great point. And for a lot of people, I think this also comes down to having kind of a scarcity mindset where they think, you know, I don't have that many great ideas. If I find one that has potential, even if it doesn't affect me, even if I don't resonate, if it doesn't resonate with me perfectly, I'm going to do it anyway because it's just so hard to come by a great idea. And I think, you know, you should probably hold out for a better idea that actually resonates with you personally. But yeah. for a lot of people, that's difficult because it's difficult for them to look at their life and say, well, here are the problems that I have that are worth turning into some kind of business. How do you look at your life and figure out that, you know, a problem you have is worth solving via a business, even if other companies already kind of exist in that space? Number one would be Google's the 13th search engine in the world. It wasn't the first, but it's the one that everyone uses now. You don't have to be the first. You can be a product that is just better, um, <laughs> to put it simply. I know, for instance, like I used to DJ back at uni and uh, back in college and I'd like ask, I asked one of my friends like, Oh, how did you get into DJing? Like, how did you like work up the courage to get into DJing? And he was just like, Oh, I just saw someone playing. I didn't think they were very good. So I thought I could do a better job. So I just hopped on the decks at the party. <laughs> and that's like, it's pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much the way it goes. It's like, I'm making bootcamp index. So there's already like options that exist in this space. Like, course report switch up or up switch or switch rear or whatever and um i personally think both of them um suck they you go on and it's like you're greeted with a wall of text it's not really i don't like the ui so in this situation i'm making a super simple like mvp where it's going to be okay you want to find a boot camp in new york which is part-time and teaches react you can find that on Bitcamp Index in like, you know, a split second just by tapping one button. And the current Bootcamp websites don't have that. You know, you have to sign up to get all the syllabus and there's all these things like say a lot of them have all these things where they have like, oh, we've got like five thousand reviews, five thousand reviews from students. And it's like does anyone have the time or inclination to read five thousand Bitcamp reviews? I no, I don't. So I'd much prefer to read like success story. So what I'm going to do is have the stories from the blog once they're the ones that are sponsored. 
are going to be on the bootcamp index. So that way, when you go on their profile, you can immediately see a success story rather than like, you know, 4.5 out of 5, which, by the way, all of the pit camps have like, you know, a, a kind of artificial, you know, a kind of like this rating, which doesn't really make sense to me. And like I say, I think I prefer to like read a success story rather than like troll through tons of reviews. So yeah, I think definitely if something exists, if you think you can make it better, which I think I can, definitely go for that. The thing for me that I find really odd is that lots of people are like, I don't have any ideas. I can't think of any, any ideas. And I'm just like, and lots of other people say, you know, like Paul Graham says, like, you know, solve your own problems. And to me, if you're saying you have any ideas, I know you might not be saying this deliberately, but it's kind of like saying to me, like, my marriage is perfect. I've got beautiful children. I can't ask for more money. <laughs> I've got like the biggest house on the block. I've got perfect life and nothing. I want, don't want to change a single part of it. It's like, come on, man. You probably, you know, you've probably got some problems. You got doesn't even have to be a huge thing. It can just be. You tell me, there's no aspect of your life that you you don't have an issue with, or you don't want to improve. It's it's pretty unlikely. So I'm pretty sure you can find problems if you look hard enough. <laughs> well, listen, Pete. It's been pretty cool to watch your journey. I've been following along on Indie Hackers, and I think the advice that you're giving that comes out of your experience and your stories is super helpful first-time founders. So hopefully people listening to this will will be able to overcome their inability to come up with ideas and figure out how to get started quickly and ideally charge a lot more than they're thinking of charging at first. And hopefully you're able to catch up to, was it Andre's challenge? They had $10,000 a month in revenue in the near future. Yeah, thanks a lot. If I can throw a kind of a sales pitch your way, if I get, sure. to, if I get to 10,000, can I come back on for like a longer interview? Because that can give yeah. me like skin in the game, a bit of incentive. Well, extra incentive. You get $10,000 a month in revenue. I will have you back on the podcast, Pete. Boom. That's awesome. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell listeners where they can go to find out more about your journey? I know you're building in public and sharing what you're learning. And also where they can find uh, no CS degree and the other resources that you're building. Sure. So my websites are nocsdegree.com. That's where I interview developers. I've got a jobs board, which is nocsok.com. That's for jobs that don't require CS education. I'm just about to launch bootcampindex.com, which will be a really super quick way to find the best coding camp for you based on your own particular needs. I've started blogging every day. So that's at petecodes.io. I'm petecodes on Indie Hackers and on Twitter. If you want to ask me anything, uh, shoot me a message. I'm totally always ha- happy to help with people. I've, in the last two or three years, I've sent like a gazillion messages to peer levels. So I think it's kind of only fair that I return the favor. So if you need any, yeah, if you need any help and if I can help, then I'd be happy to. All right. Thanks again, Pete. Okay. Cheers, man. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you reached out to Pete and let him know. He is Pete Codes on Twitter. Also, if you're interested in hearing my personal thoughts and takeaways on each episode of the show, I share them in an email newsletter that you can subscribe to at ndhackers.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.